Welcome to episode 183 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, an incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits, as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 183 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm cold. <gasps> Isn't it wonderful? No, I have on shoes, jeans, and long sleeves. I have on, I don't even know what it's called. What's it called when the shirt is like, you know, it doesn't have shoulders? Like when it's... I don't know. Like doesn't have straps? Strapless? Yeah. (laughs) I have on a strapless shirt and shorts and nothing else. Okay. Do you keep your heat really up high in your apartment? No, I keep it at 67. Okay. Well, I'm cold. During the day and 60 at night. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. My house has really cold floors. It's built on a slab. It was built in 79. Our last house was built on crawl space, and so it was not like this. But this one, it's built on a slab, and it just gets cold really fast when the weather changes. Fabulous. No, not fabulous. (laughs) All weekend is really when the weather changes. I don't know, Melanie. Every year when fall comes, I'm surprised because it's like summer, summer, summer. I'm hot, hot, hot. It does happen really fast here. Yeah. And then like one minute, it's like 90. And then you wake up and you're like, what's happening? (laughs) It happens after a storm, I feel like. I guess. Yeah, we did have some rain. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, and I went to my niece's birthday party on Saturday, and I was wearing a sleeveless shirt, and I was freezing the whole time. 
And then the next day, I was outside, and I was hot the whole time. So it just, you know, I can't get it right. It's the time of the year when you just don't know. Yeah. Like, the weather will change. It, like, goes back and forth and back and forth. It, like, changes its mind, and then it just decides to stay. I'm hoping that's this moment. I feel like it is. It definitely feels like fall. My feet are crying. (laughs) Feels wonderful. I don't like to have cold feet. Yeah, I texted my sister. I was like, I could live here if, if it was like this all the time. I guess I do live here, but I could live here forever. <laughs> well, anything new going on with you? I'm reading, I think I talked about this before. I'm reading The Immunity Code by Joel Green. Did I talk about that? He's the one who says that when we lose fat, it actually damages the fat cells. I think you did mention that. Yeah, that sounds familiar. This book is blowing my mind. I do not remember the last time I read a book about like everything that we talk about, you know, fasting, weight loss, all the stuff that blew my mind to the extent that this book is blowing my mind. Now, does he talk about fasting? Yes, a lot. Big fan, I would imagine. Yes and no. Okay. I need to finish the book. I actually have him booked to come on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. And this is actually the first time I think I'm going to email and say, can we plan to record for three hours and make it a two-part episode? Because that's how mind-blowing and how much information there is. Well, that sounds like a must-read then. Why Why is he yes and no with fasting? Can you give us a little brief? I need to read more because I'm just now getting to that part. But what he said thus far, I'm like halfway through. It's a really long book, but it's a page turner. Like normally I'm like, it's long and I'm enjoying the books, but it's, I have to like use, you know, use willpower and power through. This one, I'm just like, oh, it's just so good. Basically his premise is that fat loss in general especially fat loss and regain and fat loss and regain, it sets up the body for, in the long term, it sets up the body for weight regain because every time you lose weight and regain it, the fat cells actually become damaged and the extracellular matrix, so like the membrane that surrounds the fat cells becomes more like rigid and tight. A lot more to that, but something about how fasting too much for too long So he's been doing everything before anybody knew about anything. So like he was talking about the gut microbiome like 20 years ago. I don't know. He said said like a website for a long time. He was doing one meal a day, I think for quite a while, for a long time. And he thinks that that had massive problems actually in the long term. But I need to finish to figure out why. I don't know the nuance exactly of why. Because he does think the key to sustained weight loss is losing the weight and like getting lean and staying lean. Like that's the key. So my question is for people who get lean and stay lean with, you know, one meal a day or fasting, is there a problem there? I don't know because I haven't finished reading it. He thinks the health issues that we mostly have today are because when we gain fat, especially for losing and regaining, but in any case, when we gain fat, all of the immune cells, like, so fat isn't just fat. It's also fat, stem cells, and immune cells. And as we age and as we gain fat, our fat becomes more immune cells, less like actual fat. And then our actual immune cells can be either anti-inflammatory. He calls them like the blue team or inflammatory, which he calls the red team. And he thinks aging is basically our immune cell population shifting to more of the inflammatory red team. And that's exacerbated a lot by weight gain and inflammatory fat. So like cytokines being released from fat and infiltrating our organs and our body. So the yo-yo is really bad, he's saying. Yo-yo is really bad. <laughs> it's like my takeaway. Well, that makes me happy because I used to live in the yo-yo and I haven't been on the yo-yo since 2014. Yay. Because he even talks about how like you could be obese and healthy if the nature of the fat is it's not inflammatory fat. It's not, you know, if it's like healthy young fat in a way, that's healthier than being lean and having your fat cells actually broken and damaged and marked by inflammatory immune cells. And for listeners, we're not saying don't try to lose weight. That's not that's not the takeaway message here. Oh, my gosh, I should just stay at – no, no. Well, because the majority of people are – I mean, I don't know this as a stat, but in our modern world, it's often likely that if you are overweight, it's probably not the super healthy form of being overweight. It's probably more inflammatory. What his book is about is how to lose weight because that is the healthy thing, but how to lose it and stay there and not have all of the, this cascade effect of – weight regain. Right. It does make sense that that would not be good for you. Yeah. It's blowing my mind. I didn't realize though there were all these studies on like fat cell matrices and what happens to them. 
it's just really fascinating. So to be continued. All right. Well, that sounds good. See, I'm really excited to see what he says about fasting more. And he has like all these hacks. I I just thought about it because we were talking about the cold. Like one of his hacks is how to burn stubborn fat. And it's like you put menthol on the area. I don't know the exact steps, but it's like you put menthol on the area and then you ice it for like 15 to 20 minutes. And then you take some like niacin. I don't know if it was niacin. It was some supplement. And then you go to bed (laughs) and it will preferentially burn off that area. Well, that's interesting. It's like literally very specific things like that. It's mind blowing. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I'm skeptical of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know I shouldn't. That was out of context. But if you read the whole thing. All right. Everybody's going to be going out and putting some menthol on their saddlebags. Try it out. Let's see. <laughs> it makes sense, though. Like what we know about cold and everything. Other update is I interviewed Seamland yesterday again. How was that? It was really good. You know, he's into all the things. Yeah. Talking to him, I just feel like I'm talking to myself. (laughs) That's funny. I love it, though. Because, you know, I don't do all the things. (laughs) I do intermittent fasting. I do a thing here and there. That's it. And it works. Yeah. (laughs) I eat the food. (laughs) I love it. Actually, yeah, the first... Sorry. This is so specific. The first thing he... In Joel Green's book... Because he has like all these like hacks and things that you're supposed to do and you're supposed... Oh, apparently it's all about you have to do them in order. That's like really, really important. Otherwise, everything will go wrong. The very first thing is like, it's very specific. It's like you eat apple skins in the morning. Yeah. See, that's already too hard for me. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Then you eat. Then, <laughs> then you do that for like a certain amount of time. Then you eat apple skins plus I think HMOs. You have to get like baby formula or something. I don't know. It's very specific. It's to get more acromancia bacteria in your gut lining. That's one of those things that I would not be doing. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) I don't even want to write down what I'm eating and put it in an app, much less eat what you're telling me to eat. Much less go get some apples and peel it and eat the skins at a certain time. (laughs) I mean, I might like some apple skin, but... I learned from my muffin, you know, the the Predict 3, that I wanted to put butter and jelly on my muffin, but I couldn't. (laughs) Peanut butter, that would have been delicious, you know. (laughs) Anyway, good times. Good times. Yeah, that's funny. Well, anything else? No, that's it. Okay. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes. All right. So... To start things off, we have some feedback from Debbie. The subject is terminology. And Deb says, good morning, ladies. I enjoy listening and have been IFing since May 20th. I am down almost 20 pounds and about to drop another jean size for a total of two. And I thank you for the wealth of helpful information that has helped me on this journey. I'm currently listening to episode 179. And I specifically want to address when you talked about how to discuss IF with kids who won't really understand it or actually anyone who questions you about it. And I think I have a possible solution for kids, the doubters, naysayers, etc. For whatever reason, the simple word fasting has such a negative connotation to it for a lot of people. I wonder if just changing the words around might help. For instance, the next time I get a question about what I am doing or how I have lost weight, I plan to simply say, I started eating intermittently instead of gorging on so much food in one day, and I really feel much better instead of telling them how I do intermittent fasting. Maybe if we put the emphasis on how it has improved our health and the way we feel, which is why I personally began doing it, we can change the way people react to it. While I don't really feel the need to explain myself to people because it's my life, my body, it's no one's place to criticize, and you can't argue with positive results, but in order to avoid hearing the negative feedback and getting all worked up over it, I think this is my new way to answer the questions. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Before I read her next thing, Jen, do you have thoughts on that? Well, you know, in Fast Feast Repeat, I talked about the actual scientific terminology, if you have a daily eating window, is time-restricted eating. And that's one way you can explain it without using the word fasting. You know, we use time-restricted eating. Or I do actually like the words intermittent eating because that's, you know, that's what we're doing. We intermittently eat. We intermittently fast. But, you know... These days, I'm not so worried. Here's here's a funny story, Melanie. I never told you this. When I was talking to our shared literary agent, 
we were going to start pitching fast feast repeat. So we're talking. This was in okay. What year is it? When did this, <laughs> when was this conversation? It was over a year before it came out. So this was in early 2019. We were talking, and she actually said instead of the words intermittent fasting, should we use other words? And I said no because that's that's the wording that's already out there. And she's like, okay, got it. But the wording is out there. So you know, I've actually heard scientists say we shouldn't call it intermittent fasting. We should, you know, some scientists really don't like when time-restricted eating, the daily eating window approach, is referred to as intermittent fasting. They think you should only use intermittent fasting to describe an alternate daily fasting protocol or extended fasting even. They don't think that the daily eating window approach qualifies as intermittent fasting. I know like a lot of the figures in the industry, like Peter Tia definitely thinks that, and a lot of other people as well. But, you know, I didn't name it. Melanie didn't name it. This is out there. It's the jargon. You know, we're not going to be able to change what the world calls it, unfortunately. But when you're explaining it to somebody like a kid, I would not tell a kid, I'm fasting. I wouldn't say that to a kid. I would just say, I'm not eating right now. That's enough. That's all they need to know. I'm going to eat later. You know, and if an adult starts quizzing me on it, and really they don't. You just say, no, thank you. And they, they usually move along unless they're like super, you know, maybe a family member might want to know more. But another adult, you really don't even need to tell them. Just no, thank you is enough. What They don't need to know when I'm eating, what I'm eating, if I ate before, if I'm going to eat later. So you really don't even need to mention it. Just say, I'm not eating right now. But time-restricted eating is great terminology. If you would like to use that instead of saying fasting, you're actually, you've got scientists on your side who think that's probably a better wording than intermittent fasting. But as I said, that cat's out of the bag. You know, any plan where you're having periods of fasting and periods of eating is now under the general umbrella intermittent fasting. Yeah, 100%. Because I think I had a list in what, when, why, and of how to talk to people about it. And it was a lot of those points. It was basically like, you know, you can also keep it short and simple. Like you don't have to feel the need to like <laughs> go into a lot of detail. You really don't. And you could just say, hey, you know, I, I read this book, What Went Wine, or I read this book, Fast Feast Repeat, or I read Delayed on Deny. And if you're interested in learning more, read that. You know, those authors explain it better than I could. Just help somebody that and let them go read it if they really want to know more. Yeah. I like though that she said, you know, eating intermittently. So yeah, I like that too. Have you heard of Alan Goldhammer, True North Health Center? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's extended fasting. I'll put it on the Himalaya podcast app, intermittent fasting podcast stuff we like. I have a playlist there, but I've been listening to an interview with him with Rich Roll. It's pretty new. Well, it was like a month ago, August 24th. That's really all I was going to say was that, (laughs) but it's all about fasting. And he was talking about, you know, the difference between when they first started the center, because I don't know when when that center started, but it was quite a while ago. And like, I guess just the difference between when they first started it and compared to now and the the acceptance around fasting. And and I do think it's silly because, I mean, if you, let's say you're going to have blood work done and your doctor says it's fasted blood work, they don't make you fast for two days. I mean, you don't eat after midnight and you wake up in the morning like eight hours later. They call that fasted. I think people get all crazy about it. That is fasting. You know, so we are, you know, extending that fast. Those of us that do the daily eating window approach, we are having a longer fasting period. We're just breaking the fast. Breakfast is just a little bit later. Exactly. So the rest of Deb's email, she says, one last note on this episode, you both use the term Debbie Downer a lot and always apologize to anyone named Debbie, which is her. And I always chuckle a little when I hear that. From now on, we can just say, don't be a downer. Of course, I am kidding a little when I say this, but just a suggestion. She says, thank you and keep the awesome info and studies coming. I always learn something new from each episode. Oh, and she said, sincerely, Debbie, parentheses, not a downer. (laughs) I get it, Debbie. I'm sorry. I have a friend whose name is Karen. And, you know, that's a a name that gets a lot of, you know, jokes like, don't be a Karen. Sorry, all the Karens out there. I'm not saying it. I didn't make it up. I'm just saying Karens also fall into this situation. So I'm sorry that your name has got that connotation. We'll try to do better to not say that. (laughs) 
<laughs> Although my very favorite skit, and I'm sure Debbie doesn't like it, and I probably wouldn't if my name was Debbie, or I would just, you know, to find the humor in it, the Debbie Downer from Saturday Night Live. I thought you were going to say that. Or have you seen those? Actually, no, but I was like, it's going to be a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> and, you know, if you want to call it Don't Be a Downer, that'd be fine. But they are just really hilarious. Those skits, they're some of my favorite. It's like the family around the Thanksgiving table, and they're like, everyone, say what you're thankful for. She's like, I'm thankful I didn't get salmonella this year like my neighbor did. Wah, wah. I mean, <laughs> anyway, that's my favorite Saturday Night Live skit. I feel like I missed out on Saturday Night Live, yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched it for a while, but, you know, there were some eras that were better than others. But, you know, all through high school in the 80s, I mean, we were watching it. You know, it was the Eddie Murphy years. Those were so good. He was fabulous. I don't know why I feel like I never tapped into that. Yeah. Maybe because I didn't really watch that much TV after a certain point, like when I would have been watching it. We all watched it. Times were different back then, though, too, because we only had, I mean, we didn't even have cable. I lived in the mountains. We didn't have cable television. There was no cable. There was no satellite. I don't know if it existed. But we had three channels. And if you could tune them in, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, four, if you count PBS. We had ABC, NBC, CBS, and if you could get PBS, that was lucky. And we had a rotor, and we had to turn it, and it had, like, an antenna on the top of the roof that had to turn. Based on if you were watching NBC and you wanted to switch to ABC, you had to turn the rotor and point it in a different direction. I'm I'm telling you, you had to really want to change the channel. (laughs) Wow. So... (laughs) That's how old I am. But, and I lived, it was rural. It was rural Virginia. We were way out in the country. Everyone watched those things. It wasn't like you had 47 million options that you could watch. No, we all watched Saturday Night Live. We all watched, you know, Wonder Woman on whatever night that came on. We all watched the same things because that's all there was. Such a different time. Oh, it really is. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Debbie, for that feedback. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right. We're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it, especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood. There's a lack of transparency. It can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door, and they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild-caught. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and 100% grass-finished. Their chicken is free-range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast 
and use code IFPODCAST to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash IFPODCAST with code IFPODCAST. I will put all this information in the show notes. Are we ready to move on to our first question? I think so. So we actually have two questions tapping into a similar subject. So Ashley, subject is fall candles. She says, hi, Jen and Melanie. First, I want to thank you for the podcast. I read the books and love them, but hearing from you weekly keeps me motivated. This might've been a question on an earlier episode. So I apologize if it's repetitive, but I wanted to ask about scented candles, specifically fall candles. I mostly do 24. I started this past June with a down day on Thursdays and an up day on Fridays, just to switch things up. I've had a lot of success with this format. Thursdays are always a little bit challenging, but I don't usually get hungry until around three in the afternoon. So I am able to pull through. Okay, getting to the question. I am a sucker for fall scented candles. Fall is the only season when I like candles that smell like food. I just ordered a pumpkin spice candle and another one that smells like pecan waffles. Do you say pecan or or pecan? Well, I say pecan because, you know, that's... (laughs) That's the South Carolina way to say it, although I'm sure there's some people in South Carolina who don't say it that way. But yeah, pecan is how we said it. So those waffles. So I was having my down day last Thursday and I woke up early in the morning and lit the candle to boost my mood while working from home. Immediately, I was starving. I blew out the candle and a couple of hours later, I felt better. I pushed through it and I didn't get anything to eat. So what I'm wondering is, did the candle actually break my fast as in spiking insulin or maybe just triggered my appetite? I can push through cravings, but I will definitely stop lighting the candles if it's defeating the purpose of my fast. Thank you so much, and I hope you know how much good you're doing for this community. I was not a very big girl to begin with, but I've always struggled to lose that last 10 to 15 pounds until reading your books. I'm confident for the first time ever, so thank you for changing my life. We also have a question from Maggie, and the subject is going overboard, worried about scented candles and lotions. And Maggie says, hi, I'm working my way through the first episodes of your podcast. Love it. During my first week of IF, I tend to be the crazy dieter that follows every rule with no cheating. I'm not viewing this as a diet, but that mentality may be creeping in because I'm concerned that burning a food scented candle might cause insulin release and break my fast. I'm a huge candle person and collector who always has one burning. I tend to love bakery and foodie scents. I'm nervous to burn them during my fasted period. I also own a lot of sweet smelling body lotions, which I'm afraid to use. How crazy am I being? Can artificial scents such as these trigger insulin? Should I follow the rule of if you're not sure, just say no. Thanks, Maggie. Okay, so here's the thing. My rule of thumb is I don't want you to worry about something you can't control. Like if you're walking through the mall and you smell Cinnabon and you're freaking out, like you have to wear a clothespin on your nose, like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, quote, breaking the fast. I don't want you to live in fear. That being said, we can control whether we're burning food-scented candles or putting on body lotions that make our bodies think that food is incoming. And I really hate to even say this, but yes, we do have scientific studies that show insulin response to the sight and smell of food. You know, I'm I'm looking at one right here. It's it's a study, peripheral insulin in response to the sight and smell of food. Now, this is an old study. This is from 1980, but they looked at 25 obese women and 23, they called them reference women to find out what happened. And they did have an insulin response to the presentation, the smell of food. You know, it's because... When we smell that food smell, this is the explanation. I'm going to read this quote. It says, the parasympathetic nervous system triggers salivation and increases insulin production in response to the expectation that glucose will be entering the bloodstream. And that was actually from a different article, but that's a direct quote from somebody. And in the study that I mentioned before about they compared the obese women with the, quote, reference women, the insulin response was higher in the obese women. Is that fair? No. But it shows to me that if you are someone who is obese or has been overweight for a while and you're really trying to lose weight, you may have a larger insulin response to that delicious pumpkin spice candle than someone who is not. And so it sounds nuts to say, maybe don't burn that pumpkin spice candle while you're you know, trying to lose weight, but the science actually is there. 
and I'm sorry to report that. <laughs> because that does sound, you know, for someone like me who likes to keep things simple, I don't want to worry about a lot of things. I don't want to say be careful with your candle because it sounds nuts. But, you know, I think that Ashley already knew that that candle bothered her because she was starving. And so, you know, with the insulin response, that could happen. So anyway, what do you say to that, Melanie? Yeah, pretty much the same page. And I also looked up a lot of studies and I, I learned some really fascinating things I didn't know. Do you know where the highest density of central insulin receptors are located and the highest insulin concentration? I do not. On the olfactory bulb. Okay, that's where the smells are. Yes. <laughs> so apparently the connection between our appetite, insulin, and smells is really, really important. I mean, when we think about it, it's almost shocking, something I recently experienced myself, how much our sense of smell relates to our taste. Because as you know, I recently had my deviated septum fixed. I couldn't smell through my nose for like a week. I couldn't taste food. <laughs> like one of the Q&As is like, when will I be able to taste food again? And one of the other things I learned researching this was that apparently the way that our nose how we smell it. We initially, the first phase is smelling it in the air. So like the candle or smelling a food. But then the second phase is when we actually eat it. And then it releases smells that go up through our, into our nose. And that's like the second phase. But what's really interesting is that when we're fasted, we tend to have a higher sensitivity to smells. And then when you eat, when you're satiated, our perception of smells goes down. It's not quite as acute. So if you're smelling, you know, a candle in the fasted state, it's probably going to have, you know, much more of a stimulating effect. And can I interrupt you for a second? Am I right to then, from what you just said, when it's actually in your mouth and you're, quote, you know, smelling it from your mouth through your nose that way, it's actually magnified? Is that what you were saying? Well, I was saying when you actually eat it and break it down, the most potent smell effect is from eating it. From inside your mouth. Okay. So smelling it, I'm, I'm just trying to distinguish. So an exterior smell is different than the taste slash smell. So it's more pronounced when it goes in the mouth. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is I was reading one article and it was analyzing the work of like Pavlov's dogs. And it was talking about how he didn't really analyze smell like specifically because in his work he would basically tempt dogs with things they wanted and measure their like salivation and their how their bodies were responding to it but this was really interesting so if if the food was just like briefly put in the dog's mouth it didn't have that big of an effect but if they were tempted like so they, they were like they could smell the food for like five minutes it, that had a way bigger effect on like their like gastric acids being released. They were anticipating it. So that's interesting. I wonder then, this is just me wondering, I don't know if there are studies about this or not, like when I'm preparing food for my family, but I know I'm not going to eat it. I have no anticipation that I'm going to eat this food. I have no, like, I don't get all hungry and worked up over it. But maybe if I were planning to eat it, that anticipation would play a role. I think so. Because I can handle food and not feel starving and not feel like I need to eat it. But then, you know, when you are fixing it, you're getting ready to eat it. It's that different kind of like, ooh, I'm going to eat this. So the anticipatory period is important. It's super important. It's important because it's like it preps your body to digest it. Actually, this is, sorry, this is a really quick tangent. Did I talk about that really fascinating study from Paul Saladino's book about vegetarian people seeing meat? No. Oh my goodness, this blew my mind. So... And this kind of speaks to what you were just talking about. So they've done studies on, so they can look at like, I forget what it's called, electric something potential, like seeing what part of your you know brain is lighting up to seeing certain stimuli. And when they show meat to omnivores, I don't know if in the study, if they were like fasted, I bet they probably were. So like omnivores that see meat, they experience like desire consciously, and subconsciously, so like a part of their, another part of their brain, like, I don't know if it was vegans or vegetarians, but if they show them meat, they don't experience conscious desire for it, but the subconscious part of their brain still lights up, which I thought was really fascinating. Paul Saladino was using it as an argument that we're naturally 
wired to desire meat. Naturally omnivores. Yeah. But I just found that really fascinating. The reason I was thinking about it was like, if you, I don't know what the implications are. Like if you've, you know, if you're consciously telling yourself, I'm not eating this now, like, does that like override? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just theorizing. I'm just, I'm just pontificating. There's a slight nuance and I almost don't want to throw in this, this nuance because it will confuse people before I say that. This is really similar to what Jen just said from her study. I actually thought for a second that we were looking at the same study, but this is different. One of the ones I read said that sensory inputs are well known to influence digestive processes in the anticipatory or cephalic phase. Sensory perception of food drives the secretion of gastric juices and preparation for food intake via parasympathetic control through the vagus nerve. So similar to what you just said. The slight caveat is another study was looking at it and it said that the smell of food induces salivation and release of gastric acid and insulin. Conversely, sustained odor exposure may induce satiation. So it stops after a while. So if you're like working at a bakery, don't stress out over it. It's not like... I thought this was going to freak people out hearing that, but actually to this point... No, I think it's good. I Actually, I'm glad you said that because it, it doesn't just keep going and going and going. Also, I think our bodies just turn off things, sensory things that just go for a long, long time. Yeah, I would believe it. They stop responding. Well, we know that like with sound. You know, you stop hearing it after a while. I mean, you really hear it, but you stop noticing it. The same with the smells, that sort of thing. I think it's different, like you said, if it actually is coming in your mouth. Like, I wouldn't lick it. (laughs) I wouldn't lick a cookie, you know, repeatedly. It says that acute exposure, so temporary exposure to attractive vinegar odor. I don't don't know what they were testing. I don't know when vinegar odor is attractive. I love vinegar odor. Okay. Oh, wait. Oh, like balsamic vinegar? I love all vinegar odor. Did you ever color Easter eggs with those kits that you had to put it? Love it. I love that smell. Of course you do. (laughs) I bet you don't like salt and vinegar potato chips. I don't know what those taste like. Oh, or like putting vinegar on your fries. Well, I never liked vinegar, so I never put them on. Okay. Malt vinegar on fries. Amazing. Yeah, I like vinegar. Oh, yeah. This is so funny because one of the only things I probably didn't like about like Easter was that awful smell of... I would just sit there and sniff it like on purpose. (laughs) But are we surprised? No, that's so funny. So, well, so maybe they were. So for acute exposure exposure to attractive vinegar odor, which Jen knows all about, triggers a rapid and transient increase in circulating glucose, a rapid upregulation of genes encoding the glucagon-like hormone, adipokinetic hormone for insulin-like peptides and some target genes. But And then it says sustained exposure to food odors, however, decreases food intake. So... Yes. If you're working at a bakery or you're working at the scented, you know, candle bath and body works, it's okay. (laughs) You'll be okay. It'll happen. And then if you keep it going, you'll get used to it. Yeah. It says like food odor can induce a transient anticipatory endocrine response. So unless you're like anticipating it for your five hour shift or eight hour shift, I don't know how long shifts are, but yeah. I don't burn scented candles during my fast, but then again, I don't burn scented candles ever because I don't like really strong, smelly things. Yeah, I don't like any smells, please. I did get some, that Mrs. Myers Clean Day. I love their, I, okay, there's some smells that I like, so. Wait, here's here's the teller because there's like one natural smell because I, pretty much I don't really like the smell of the world that much, but there is one smell I love. Is it lavender? I don't like lavender. I like lavender. It gives me a headache. Is it vanilla? I like vanilla. I love vanilla. Oh, yay. <laughs> trees. Oh, you like trees? Yeah, like pine. But you don't like pine scented stuff. Oh, I don't really like scented anything, but I like pine. Like a real pine tree. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I like that too. Oh, we can meet up in a pine forest with vanilla. Oh, yeah, I'll go to a pine forest. A vanilla scented pine forest would smell wonderful. <laughs> I think you're right. Sounds like Christmas. Yes. Oh, it does. Which will be here before we know it. I know. That really is true. I can't wait to decorate for Christmas. I love Christmas. So body products, I'm assuming we would not encourage having food smelling body products. And on top of that, um, if you haven't considered it, I would encourage not putting on 
these scented body lotions anyway, because I've talked about this a lot before, but we're putting these onto our skin. Those compounds are often endocrine disruptors and there are ones called obesogens often found in these skincare products. And they can actually affect your fat cells to encourage your body to store and gain weight. Although I love the smell of the beauty counter lotion, which does not smell like food. Well, it kind of, it's like, is it a citrusy kind of thing? They use a lot of citrus. It's all, it's all natural smells, but it's like, yeah, like citrus and stuff like that. A lot of citrus represented. I guess here's what I would say to both Maggie and to Ashley. I would say this. If you're using anything like a lotion or a candle and you find that it makes you shaky or nauseated, then that is not working for you. But one little stomach growl and then going about your day, you're probably fine, right? If it makes you shaky or nauseous, don't use it. But other than that, you know, go by how you feel. If it makes you starving, 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 don't use it. Yep, pretty much. All right, let's move on. We have a question from Barbara, and the subject is the perfect pair. Barbara says, hi, lovely ladies. I know you hear this a lot, but I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I drive a lot for work, and your conversations are part of my weekly journeys. IF has changed my life in more ways than one. I have Crohn's disease and stumbled across intermittent fasting through my consultant. I didn't do it right the first time until I discovered your podcast and learned all about clean fasting through all of Jen's books. I am now on an amazing route to a good health lifestyle. IF has helped me with my symptoms, and I am deep diving into nutrition and holistic approaches. I fast clean. I'm starting to eat better. I'm listening to my body. Anyway, thank you, Jen, for being the voice of reason, and thank you, Melanie, for being you. You talk as fast as you think, and that is me all over. So I feel like I know you really well. I love both of your other podcasts and always look forward to new releases. I would love to know how you two actually met and came up with the IF podcast idea and how you've kept it going so great. Last but not least, I have now got my mom, couple of friends, my hairdresser, and colleagues at work all doing IF, and I've become their, quote, unofficial coach, unquote, passing down the knowledge I learned from you both. Yes, they have DDD or FFR books too, Jen. Much love to you both, and thank you, Barbara from the UK. And notice how I said mom instead of mom, because that's how she spelled it, and it was the UK spelling. She also spells her name Barb. Is that how they spell Barbara in the UK? Well, I don't know. There's lots of different ways. Yeah, I was a school teacher, as you know, for 28 years. There's a million ways to spell every single name that you could possibly have. But usually people pronounce it the standard way, but you never know. She spells it with an O for listeners who are curious. Barbara. Barbara. Actually, this is appropriate timing. I just got an email from a company we're going to start working with. And they were like, can you send a picture of you and Jen together? And I was like, well, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I cannot actually. <laughs> Jen and I have never met in person. We need to get a picture together. I know. <laughs> so I, I know people are probably like their, their minds are exploding right now. The, oh, that we've never met in person. Yeah. Because we said it before on the podcast, but I'm, I know people assume we have st- have met by now, but we still haven't. Yeah, I remember when I asked questions for you in the group, somebody asked, was like, have you still met in person? And everybody was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, the long story short, which we've told a few times on the show, but why not retell it? I was wanting to start a podcast. I had self-published a book, like Jen, about intermittent fasting, the original What When Mind Diet. And I was wanting to start a podcast about intermittent fasting, but I wanted a co-host. So I just was Facebook Googling like, intermittent fasting groups. And so I wandered into the one meal a day group and I was like looking to start a fasting podcast. I was like, oh, and at this point I did have a, my book deal. So I had a book coming out. I had what when wine coming out. I didn't mention the title cause I didn't want people to think I was trying to pitch my book, but I did say like, I have a book coming out in bookstores about fasting. I would like to start a podcast. Is anybody interested? And <laughs> everybody in the group completely freaked out. They did. It was a, it was small at that time, I have to say. This was in early 2017, and my book had only been out for like three months at the, this point. My book was still new. <laughs> yeah. Everybody freaked out, reported it, reported it. 
you know how people do. And I got kicked out of the group. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Just briefly while we could regroup. And and that was me. I was the only admin. There was nobody but me. So I'm the one because it was reported. And people were like, you're very rude coming in here and trying to, I mean, that those were like the comments, right? That, pe- that people said it wasn't rude at all. But the comments were, that's what someone said. I don't even know if you saw those comments because, <laughs> but, the, you know, people reported the post and the comments were like, I can't believe you're coming in here talking about your book. And so then I reached out to you by messenger and said, hey, I saw your post and let's talk about that. And I can remember uh, and then I added you back to the group immediately. <laughs> and I probably was teaching school at the time. Like, it was in the middle of the school day. And so, like, I'd be trying to teach, and then I'd get, like, a, a notification. Anyway, things would happen, and I would be like, what's happening? <laughs> I have to go do another job now, kids. Just give me a minute. <laughs> but initially, you were like, let's do one, you know, because you liked paleo women. And you're like, let's do intermittent fasting for women. And I'm so glad that we decided to I know we were like talking about a lot of different ways to take it. Women. You, your initial idea was you wanted to do a podcast targeted to women. I don't even remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And I was like, well, you know, we have a lot of men in the group. So how about I think men would like it too. I think men would also listen. And I'm so glad that we did not target it just to women because I, I know we have some fabulous men who listen all the time. And in fact, I was just talking yesterday to her name is Lisa Fisher. She's a radio personality from Arkansas, and she's starting a podcast. And she actually first heard about intermittent fasting from her son, her college-aged son, who discovered it through our podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. So her college-aged son listening to our podcast. So shout out to Lisa's son. Gosh, I wish I could think of his name. Something like Gibson? I can't remember. That might not be it. But it, it's something, it's a, it's a really cool name that I really loved, whatever it was. Sorry, I can't think of it. But he introduced Lisa to intermittent fasting. And then she introduced thousands of people from Arkansas. I had to think for a minute. I don't know how you say it. Arkansanians. I don't know. <laughs> people from Arkansas. <laughs> Arkan, I don't know. Arkansanians. That's, I'm sure that's not it. Georgians, Tennesseans, Floridians, Arkansas, Floridians. Arkansas people. Anyway, lots of people in the Little Rock, Arkansas area doing intermittent fasting thanks to Lisa. She's pretty awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, but I'm so glad that we we didn't just do it to women. We are target the show to women because intermittent fasting has broad appeal. And I'm thrilled that men enjoy our podcast as well. Same. And I'm also thrilled because we went back and forth on the name. We did. And we were like, should we make it like catchy and clever and like subtitles? And finally, we'll just call it the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. (laughs) Best decision ever. It was the best decision ever. Keep it simple. I remember we did a call to like talk it out. Yeah, to meet. And I was like, I like her. Me and I was like, I like her. Yay! I remember also, because originally I was thinking like somebody my age and like make it kind of like the Paleo Women podcast, I guess, which we, which it was at the time was, yeah, it was, now it's called Well-Fed Women, which it's so surreal how far we've come because now I'm like really, really good friends with Noelle, <laughs> like really good friends with her. She's the host of that show. But I think it's worked so well that because between me and you, we can cover like all perspectives. Right, right. You know, because I'm a whole lot older than you. <laughs> I don't know if people people realize that, but I'm over 20 years older than you. Yep. I like how we have different, like we're on the same page about the fundamentals, but then I get to cover the people who are like slightly more, you know, paleo or like obsessed with biohacking or that. And then you're more for the people who like fasting is like their main thing, you know, not as much, but we're still like on the same page about the overall, you know, fundamental importance of so many things like genetics and the gut microbiome and mindset and all this stuff. So it was 2017. So it's been, it's been almost three years. Yeah. Over. It's been over three years. Yeah. Over three years. April, I think May 1st of 2017 is when like we were setting the first podcast to come out, right? That was our goal date right around May. Wow. Here we are, episode 183. Yep. Over three years later. 
I love it. That's crazy. It really is. It's interesting that we still have so much to talk about every time. (laughs) We do still have a lot to talk about. As long as we can talk a little bit about (laughs) other things thrown in there as well. Personal life. I don't know. It's like a catalog of like life events. It's kind of funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking how like throughout everything in the past three years, like I can probably, regardless of what was happening, the one thing that was consistent was doing this show. So I can remember like, well, recording the podcast <laughs> at that time. Because nothing else have I done con- like that consistently. Every week we've put one out. Every single week. <laughs> a few times where things got a little intense trying to get it out. But it happened. Yep. Super grateful. Yeah, me too. I'm glad you wandered into our group. That was a good, a good wandering. Glad you kicked me out and then accepted me. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't know what was happening because I, I was like, what's going on? Why is everybody so upset? But people were being you know, very protective. And I think it's so funny. That's why I say it. I think it's really funny. Yeah, it is kind of a funny story. You know, I'm grateful to have this podcast. And, you know, I, I've told this story too before, but I had just the week before been on a podcast I was a guest. It was the first time I'd ever been a guest on a podcast the week before. And it wasn't a health-related podcast. I think it was a political podcast, but the guy was in the group, and he's like, let's talk about fasting. I'm like, fine. We didn't talk about politics. But um, he was in the group. I'm not even sure what his politics were, but it wasn't a health podcast. But he interviewed me. He and his co-host interviewed me. I can't even remember the name of it, but for like an hour. And I was like, you know, I was able to talk about fasting for an hour. And I thought, I wonder if I could do a podcast. And then one week later, you show up and say, anybody want to do a podcast? I'm like, if that's not the universe, then I don't know what is. Because I would still be thinking about it. I wouldn't be doing it. I'd. <laughs> and now here we both are with two shows each or another, well, two shows between us. Well, we, we each have another show. Yeah. A total of three. Yeah. Mine, yours, and ours. Isn't that what they say? Like <laughs> with kids, when people get remarried, ours, yours, and- Oh, is that what they say? Mine, yours, and ours. Yeah. So we have one more question from Emily. The subject is shift work and weight loss. And Emily says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I have a question regarding shift work and weight loss. I'm a 34-year-old stay-at-home mom of four kids, and I have a paper route as my side hustle. I typically sleep from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., work from 2 to 4 a.m., six days a week, and then sleep from 4 to 7 a.m. Wow. I'm just in awe of this. Okay. She says, I'm new to IF as I'm consuming books and podcasts during my fasting time instead of food. I keep hearing you guys talk about shift work being one of those times where weight loss is difficult. I aim for a 24 fasting window and eat usually from 2 to 6 p.m. I threw out my scale, so I don't know if I've lost any weight, but I do feel better. Is the slimming down portion of this life plan likely going to be slow going for me since my sleep is broken up into shifts? I don't eat during my work hours, obviously, but I now know there's a lot more to consider than just calories consumed when it comes to health and weight loss. I feel in control of my food consumption for the first time in my life. Even if I don't lose a single pound, although I need to lose about 50 pounds, I will continue this simply because I am no longer a slave to the cravings. Thank you, Emily. Wow. So she sleeps from 10 to two, gets up, does her paper route from two to four, then comes back and sleeps until seven. So it sounds like she's getting seven hours of sleep a night, but it's interrupted with a two-hour period of work. Yeah, I don't know. This is an unusual situation because that's more than just shift work. Because shift work is when someone is typically, typical shift work is when people are like sleeping during the day and awake when most people are sleeping. This is like she's still sleeping at a typical time. It's just broken up in the middle. Like, you know, the, if you're getting up to tend to a baby that's waking up in the middle of the night. Boy, I remember those days. I never felt rested. So, And she's doing a paper route. So she's like delivering. Getting up, delivering the paper, and then going back to sleep. You know, this is just, just something I don't know of any, any research into what happens when you have that little awake period in the middle of the night. Although, Melanie, I, have you ever read articles that talk about how people used to have, do they call it a biphasic sleep pattern? Have we talked about that before? Yeah, they would get up in the middle of the night, right, and do something. And then go back to bed? 
And I want to report back on this question because I want to do more research on this question. I think this is very different than typical shift work where you're, you know, awake during the night, the whole night and sleeping only during the day. That's opposite of, you know, our body's natural rhythm. But a lot of us naturally do tend to wake in the middle of the night right around that time. And as as we've mentioned, it used to be kind of common knowledge or common practice to wake up in the middle of the night and then go back to bed. Like they would get up and do some things and then go back to bed. They also would go probably go to bed earlier with the sun. You know, when it got dark, they'd go to bed earlier, then they'd wake up in the middle of the night, be awake for a while, then go back to bed for a few more hours. So I'm not sure that's a bad thing, really. If it were me, I would probably try to go to sleep earlier than 10 p.m. just to get a little bit more on the front end. If you feel like you need a little more sleep, maybe try to go to bed at 9 p.m. instead and see if you can. You might also benefit from a nap during the day if you can do it. But just that one more hour of sleep on the front end might really help. I don't know. I'm going to ask Dr. Kirk Parsley about this because he's a sleep expert. And I really wish I had. That's a great question. Maybe we could revisit it. Let's do a part two. Get that that info and then we can come back to it. Yeah. Because that is really interesting. Because when I, I read this through, but I, I think when I'm reading it now is when I realize exactly what she's doing, which is. Right. It's not exact shift work. Same thing with me. When the first time I read it, I was just like, oh, shift work. But this is different. It does make me think, because when I was interviewing Seam yesterday, he he did a trial of polyphasic sleep for like 100 days. And he said when he did it, he slept like four hours at night and then would take like two 20-minute naps during the day, which is obviously very different from this. And I, I don't even know if that's typical of the way you're supposed to do polyphasic sleep. But I just thought about it because... He mitigated, I guess, or he had, you know, that intense block and then he did the the naps. But there actually, there's a lot of studies on naps and, and just how effective. Oh, that is something I learned. Did you know that in theory, because I'm always like terrified that taking a nap during the day will make me not being able to sleep at night. But in theory, if you have like a full sleep cycle during the day, it shouldn't really affect your night. It's just like adding another sleep cycle. Yeah, I didn't I've never seen any science on napping. I don't typically nap unless it's like I'm off out of whack because I've been on vacation and I'm sluggish trying to get back to my fasting regimen. Other than that, I don't feel like I need to nap. I don't either, but apparently they're really beneficial and they're really beneficial for memory learning. So there's like different categories of it. And these numbers are not correct, but this was like the general gist of it. So if you're like sleep deprived and you learn something that evening, you might have like a, on a scale of like one to five, I'm completely making up these numbers, but this is the idea. Like a, on a scale of one to five of like retention, you might have like a two or a three. And then the next day when you wake up, you'll be like a four. But if you were to take a nap, then you would like already be like a four that night. And then like the next day you'd be like a five. So like napping is really important, especially if you're sleep deprived for memory formation. And for Emily, I think it could be helpful if she can fit it in. It all depends on how old her kids are and what they're doing, whether you can nap. Because I can remember when my boys were little, it was when Will was a newborn and Cal, so Cal was 18 months when Will was born. And so I was in that period where I wasn't sleeping at night because I was getting up to feed Will. And I can, and now a oh, Will turns 21 this week, by the way. So this was, this was 21 years ago. And so I can remember newborn Will was taking a nap and Cal was 18 months old. And I remember I was trying so hard to take a nap. I was lying on the couch and Cal was watching some probably Blue's Clues. And I was trying so hard to take a nap. And he kept coming over and with his little chubby baby fingers was like prying my eyes open with his fingers. Like, Mama, Mama. I'm like, please, Cal, just let Mama sleep, please. <laughs> so there, there was no napping going down. And also, my children were not good nappers. I was never a napper. Uh-uh, no, mine were not good nappers. Like when Will was in kindergarten, first of all, he was old because he's got a September birthday. So he was already six and in kindergarten because, you know, he, he was five when kindergarten started, but turned six right away. And they had to have nap time. And his teacher's like, Will will not lay on his mat at nap time. I'm like, he is not going to. 
So you can either fight them on it or you can give them something to do. She's like, well, the rule is they have to just lay there. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. He is not going to do that no matter what I do to him. I mean, I could punish him every day. He isn't going to lay on his nap mat and just lay there. I'm just telling you. I remember nap time. I forgot about that. But every day he got in trouble and he had to like, at recess, he lost his recess every day because he wouldn't lay on his nap mat. I'm like, I wanted to just, I'm like, I'm not the kindergarten teacher, but this is really not, you know, you're you're punishing him for his inability to lay still and he was not able to do it. Anyway, it was it was a frustrating time as a mother. I remember one of the nap times, the teacher came and got me and I thought I was in trouble, but then really she was like, I guess, because I was a good student, she went and took me and like some other student on some like magical adventure during that nap time. I don't remember what it was. It was like something like with feeding the plants or I don't know, something like we did something fun. I can remember being in elementary school and also like we would have to put our heads down on our desks, even in like fourth grade because we didn't have recess and break. Our teacher was just like all the time. It was just our teacher. She had to teach us art. She had to teach us music. She never got a break. So that was probably like their planning time. Put your head down on your desk. But I also had a really hard time doing that. And so she would give me jobs to do. Like what? Like like grade papers or do different things, but I could not sit still. So I had lots of sympathy for Will, and it was very you know frustrating as a mom because I could not fix it. I could not make him lie on his nap mat for his teacher. There was nothing I could do. He wasn't going to do it. And so I was like, I tried to talk to her. I'm like, if you could just, you know, find, let him read a book. She's like, nope, that's the rule is you have to lie there. I'm like, all right. (laughs) Okie doke. (laughs) Do they separate, this is random, do they separate you in nap time by girls and boys or is it all just like? Everybody had their spot and they didn't separate them by boys and girls. Nope. Nope. I didn't think so. Good times. Yeah. Well, on that note. On that note, my little 21-year-old still wouldn't take a nap today, fella. (laughs) Yeah, not a napper. I don't understand how you can fall asleep. It's like take a 20-minute nap. It would take me 20 minutes to like maybe fall asleep. So I don't know how a person takes like a 20-minute nap. Maybe the whole experience of a 20-minute nap takes 40 minutes. Yeah, it would take like five hours for me. (laughs) I don't know. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 183. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. You can follow me. I'm Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. And yes, I think that's all the things. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope, I think that's it. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.